<clears throat> you brood of vipers, what a way to start off Joy Sunday. This insult, which seems far from joyful, is also much worse than we can fully understand. Given the fact that back in the day, vipers were thought to eat their way out of their mother's stomach. And yet the crowds kept coming to John. And this comment in no way hinders them, but rather more and more continue to pour into the wilderness. There must have been something about him, about his message, for it moved people out of complacency. It moved people out of the cities and into the unknown of wilderness. One perhaps that perhaps gave hope, but maybe also that one that provided hints of joy as well. Now, our Zephaniah text this morning proclaims much joy much deeper, bolder, perhaps easier. In no ways does it call anyone a brood of vipers. Instead, it tells the people to dance, to sing, to shout. It provides reasons to be joyous and joyful, telling the people that God is on their side. God is with them. God will provide. Only they have to wait. It isn't the immediate, tomorrow things won't miraculously be different, but that change is coming, redemption is coming. The mighty one who saves is coming. Yet the waiting was much longer than anticipated. And while a few more prophets came after Zephaniah, the last spoken word from the Lord was about 400 BC with the prophet Malachi considered to be the last one speaking the word of God. And after that time, the word of God was quiet. So by the time John came along proclaiming such things in the wilderness, perhaps people couldn't help but be filled with more than just hope, but joy that the voice of God finally seems to be among them once again after almost 400 years of silence. But they don't even care that they're being called broods of vipers. Even this can't take away the joy of believing the voice of God is among them. But it's not just this, not just that they came out in the wilderness to hear the voice, but they also came to question if John was the Messiah, the mighty one who has come to save Israel. While John explains he's not even worthy to untie the sandal of the one who is to come, he helps them to see, to envision, to believe in the future that is to come. He tells them the one who is to come will baptize them with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor to gather the wheat into his granary, but the shaft he will burn with unquenchable fire. He's telling them when Jesus comes, the Messiah, the long-awaited Savior, will get down to the very core of us. As one commentator notes, maybe the winnowing fork is an instrument of perceptive love. 
patiently wielded by the one who discerns in us rich harvests still hidden by shaft. Maybe it's in offering God every particular of our lives that we give God permission to clear us, to separate all that's destructive from all that is good and beautiful and priceless. Maybe this one who is to come is going to strip us down to our foundation to our core, so that we can be all be built up into a home for all, into the body of Christ. This winnowing fork and threshing floor will root out all that is not of God. This one we were for, first formed from, created in the image of, the likeness of, and it will burn away whatever tears us apart from our relationship with this one and with each other so that we can fully live in communion, in community. This is also John's call as well. He, just, he doesn't just call the people into repentance to turn away from sin and evil and return to God, but also for the people to return to their homes, to their community, and to live in community with others. Three times he's asked, what then should we do? First, by the crowd. Second, by the tax collectors. Third, by the soldiers. In each response, he doesn't tell them to abandon their lives, make a new home in the desert, or completely change the way they live. Instead, he tells them, in a sense, go home. For those with two coats, give one who has none, same for food. For tax collectors, don't take more than is prescribed. For soldiers, don't bully or extort anyone for money. In this sense, he's telling them all to go back to their homes, the ordinariness of life. Telling them instead of longing for the holy someday, inhabit it now. Be merciful now. Do justice now. Stop hoarding. Stop cheating. Stop extorting. Stop procrastinating. Stop making excuses. He tells the crowds to go home and to live in community. He tells us that these same words the same. To make a home for all where all are welcome is more often easily said than done. If we think about it, in general, it's hard to live in community. I'm not sure if you've ever experienced this or if you've ever truly given it much thought, but it, if we pause for a moment and think about growing up in a house with siblings or a multi-generational home, everyone has opinions about how things should be done. Even the best families can't escape the occasion of raising their voices, of things being said in unintended ways, or of emotions running amok. Or if you've lived with a roommate for the first time, there's often an adjustment period, some give and take. Who's going to do the dishes, or how long is it okay for them to sit in the sink? Who cleans the bathroom or vacuums? How late is too late to have friends over or to blast music? And even within the church, community living is hard. 
We all come with different ideas of how we think things should be done. We aren't always as gracious to hear the other side. We can often get out of sorts just by moving the pulpit an inch to the left or painting the walls just a slight shade lighter or darker than their current color. We like to say that we welcome all, but handicap access, language barriers, and theological beliefs are just a few examples of the ways we can at times exclude others. And so John's message is a challenge. He told the people to go home live generously, live justly, stop hoarding, stop cheating, stop extorting, and live in full relationship. Build a home for all on that firm foundation. It was a challenge in John's day, not just because it's hard to live in community, but because it also went against status quo. It went against the powers of the world. And today, we still face that same challenge. Our society proclaims a completely different message, a me-first message, not one of community, but one of selfish individualism. Our society is filled with people trying to cheat the system. Modern-day tax collectors are now just debt collectors, many adding exorbitant interest rates to get their more than their money worth back. Modern-day soldiers are those that bully and intimidate, many looking for an extra handout or a payoff, corrupt politicians. Uh, some people in some areas feel like the police bully and intimidate. Others in certain places feel deep racial tensions We've seen this in a rise of hate crimes against Asian Americans in the past year. And it's not just that we personally have too many coats or throwaway food. Our, over, our larger overall system leaves many in the gutters as well. There are over 580,000 homeless people in our country today, with that number continuing to increase over the past four years. Almost 10% of the homeless population is made up of veterans. One in 10 young adults, ages 18 to 25, are homeless, and at least one in 30 adolescents, ages 13 to 17, experience some form of homelessness in the course of a year, unaccompanied by a parent or guardian. The unfortunate reality is that many of the politicians that are continually elected year after year most often have no desire to truly address the homeless population. They have no desire to address many of these larger societal issues. Which should make us ask ourselves as a church, do we? we have a desire to go against status quo, to live ordinary days in ways that don't hoard, cheat, extort, but rather welcome, embrace, and build up the kingdom of God? Do we have a desire to live into the joy that is here, the joy that is coming, the joy of living the ways of the life that John and Jesus call us to, 
building this home for all. A number of years ago, a church in our presbytery, Good Shepherd Presbyterian Church, made a choice, and it wasn't an easy one. But they allowed for their building to be taken over by a group called West Hab, an organization that does community outreach and upbuilding. Through discernment and numerous conversations with the community, the sanctuary has now been converted into a community center. The renovation has allowed, oh, sorry, while the church members still use the building for services, the renovation has allowed the space to be transformed for activities for kids, classes for adults, and gathering places for the whole community. The local paper there describes it as a mixing of the old and the new. A gleaming gym floor sits in the main room, steps away from the pipes in the wall that once belonged to an organ. This center that will offer a wide array of programs, free year-round youth programming to over 200 kids, job training, job fairs, ESL classes, focuses on programming for immigrants, on-site childcare, and a food pantry. Overall, this ties into a larger complex, including a building called Day Spring Commons, providing much-needed low-income housing for the community, even providing funding to give homeless individuals a place to live. And the joy experienced not just by the congregation, but by the whole community who benefits is a blessing. A joy that the sanctuary, while a bit different, the congregation will admit, can still be used for worship one day and basketball games the next. A joy that it's a part of a larger project that really is being a space for community, a home for all. So truly, how do we, as followers of Christ, live into this call to not hoard, to not cheat, to not extort, and push against a society that does? How do we build a home for all on this firm foundation we've been given? How do we make way for the kingdom of God here and now, and how do we live into the joy that it brings? Certainly the food pantry is a wonder is wonderful in feeding our community, but how else can we make sure people have enough? How can we push against systems that cheat and extort others? How could our building, our space, our, our property become a place where we can offer a glimpse of the kingdom of God and begin to build this home for all? Could we partner with an organization already trying to address homelessness in our county? Could we offer a free hot meal once a month to our community? Could we start a benevolence fund that helps to pay off crushing medical debt? Or could we form a community group that listens to each other's struggles and moves beyond classism, sexism, racism, ageism, or any other ism that plagues our community? Could we, also, 
Could we offer ESL programs or we ourselves begin to learn Spanish to better communicate with our neighbors? Our options are endless. As John told the crowds, he tells us, go home and live into the ordinary days that will transform society. Only we must be willing, we have to change our mentality of arguing what is fair and who is deserving. As a seminary professor once noted, if it comes down to who is deserving, we are all in trouble. For we all fall short and none of us, not one, is deserving of the immense grace we have been given. Before we can create a space, a home for all, a glimpse of the kingdom of heaven, of the joyful coming of the reign of Christ, we need to be willing to let the wind blow and the fire burn away anything that pulls us away from God. Anything that doesn't allow us to be built upon the firm foundation into the body of Christ. Only then can we truly begin the, the struggle. Only then can we truly begin the struggle and the joy of living into community, of the ordinariness of these days, of building a home for all. Amen. Our affirmation of faith this morning is found printed in your bulletin and is one that goes with our theme of Advent. Together, let us affirm our faith. We are an Advent people, a people of hope. For us, Advent is a time of waiting, so we wait. We wait for the coming of the one who is the fulfillment of God's promise the fulfillment of hope, the declaration that we have been redeemed. And so we are not naive people. We know that the world in which we live continues to be filled 